This is on the record, right? That man over there is the typist? I take your nods as affirmation. So. Give me a second. I'm gonna need a drink. I don't know how long I can go on talking about this subject, but it's probably going to be longer if you let me take care of myself first. Thanks. So. Mander. Him. My colleague. Mander was an odd man. I first made his acquaintance in the workshops of the Zeta base, wherein the dwarf-like figure was tinkering on some mechanical contraption. It looked like a grasper, a kind of prosthesis one could wear if one ever lost use of their natural arm. By that mere observance, I couldn't help but feel a certain sort of kindredship with him. After all, such endeavors as this, rediscovering the technology of our exile ancestors for the betterment of others, you know, these were the exact reasons I had embarked on this path in the first place. It turned out that I myself was not so nearly adept at the craft as others, but even still, with the education I'd gotten from my mentors and a basic knowledge of human anatomy, I could tell what it was with a single glance. It was a marvelous contraption from the look of it. No telling whether or not it worked, but the man held his hands in such a way that, even from a mere glance, I was sure that it would be ready to help someone in due time. A good project for a good person in a good time. At least, I wish it had been that simple. Of course, overwhelmed by a sense of awe and the usual nerves of finding myself in a new worksite, I approached the mender with a nervous smile about my face. I introduced myself, he gave me his name. I told him a bit of my past, where I'd grown up, how I'd found myself there. He gave nothing in return. The silence was thicker than butter. I, being not the most conversational of types, offered my hand as a way to cut through the grim oppression of the mander's awkwardness. He took the hand with little joy, seemingly excited to get back to tinkering with the contraption, as though the mere seconds our greeting had wasted would be enough to cause the whole contraption to succumb to entropy. I inquired into his invention, and he seemed very coy as to its use. This perplexed me to no end. This was, after all, a, a public workshop for menders, and whatever tasks we engaged in here were to be known for the populace at large. So I pushed forward with my inquiries. The more I asked, the more he seemed to retreat into a shell of falsehood, of lies prepared for this specific eventuality. The more he talked, the more I was sure that this mechanical arm of his was being made for some nefarious purpose. Not seeing a way to get the truth out of him, I decided to retire to my own corner of the room, wherein I fiddled with a bundle of defective pickaxes I had been, dis been assigned for the day. They were meant, so I was told, for a large archaeological expedition to the Wyvern Mountains, wherein historians assumed one of the first crafts in its technological marvels could be found. But as the day drew on and I proceeded with my work, I couldn't help but give Mander furtive glances from across the room. Oddly enough, I never once caught him glancing up at me. Even though he should have known that his non-answers had implanted in me a hideous suspicion, he did not seem to acknowledge that one bit. Instead, he tinkered with the arm with increased fervor. Each day the arm grew until one day it was about as long as Manders itself. Surely then, after a little bit of tinkering, he would send the arm out for payment from whoever had commissioned his project. But no, he kept tinkering on it for days. My tasks switched from day to day, but he was simply there, tinkering on the one singular thing. It was a wonder that he had any money for food. 
Thinking back on it, he probably didn't. He grew more gaunt with every passing day, and there was every possibility that he simply never left to purchase food. When I arrived for work, there he was. When I left, there he was. And not for one second did I see him stop for more than a drink of water. Days passed. A dozen assignments came and went. We talked even less, barely even bothering to greet each other at the door. He continued to tinker with the arm despite the evident fatigue around his eyes. I was no idiot. I could see that he was killing himself through his work. I tried to confront him on it, softly, at first. I threatened to get the authorities and to force him to take a rest. He laughed this off. I tried to reason with him. After all, his work was no good for him. If, it, if in making it, he ceased breathing. He laughed this off as well. But his breath was somehow different. Almost as though he wanted that final breath to come, if only for the sake of the project. The breath of someone who has already given their life to something greater. The breath of a dead man. This project would consume him, one way or the other. If he shrugged off the threat of authority, then I had to do something that he couldn't ignore. So I worked late one night. I kept the fire running until the suns had set below the horizon and the townsfolk were drying their carts back home. I waited until he slept. I found that in the depths of his mania, Bander had set up a little bed in the corner of the shop, you know, the one part that wasn't choked entirely with smoke. So all I did was wait for him to grow too tired for even his ardent limbs to carry on. It was two in the morning. Two in the morning. Absurd. Nevertheless, I was awake, and he was not. For whatever reason, he hadn't seemed particularly concerned about me staying in the very room where he slept. Perhaps I'd done a good job acting like I was seriously tending to my work, or maybe he was just being oblivious. Whatever the case, there it was, on the table. A cobbled-together piece of new and old machinery that glued dimly in the torchlight. No thief would steal it, it was too large. So it was safe from a scoundrel, but not safe from me, a good, honest man who cared about his colleague. I snatched it up, making sure to not touch it with my bare hands. It weighed just about as much as a regular human arm. Oh, <laughs> no, I, I don't mean that I've ever interacted with a severed human arm before. I'm just saying as someone who has to carry arms around with him all day, every day, that, yeah, it was, it was about as heavy as one of my own arms, but much more dense. It could barely have been more than a dozen centimeters in circumference. But I didn't stand around and marvel at it too long. I'd had enough of a view of the thing from afar, and, you know, wasn't particularly interested in taking it apart for its components. I had a man to save. So I crept over to his hiding space, arm in tow. I loudly declared my intentions to him. Twice, actually, but he wasn't quite awake for the first time. I held the arm aloft so that he could see it. Its structure was still brittle. A swift thrust against the stone wall would cause the entire thing to shatter. I threatened such if Manda refused to answer my questions. I expected a flare of hatred to erupt in his eyes, but there was no such thing. Only the dark light of resignation. He sighed with a deep blacksmith's breath and proceeded to tell me the full story. Our employer, he said, had launched several expeditions like the one I was preparing for. Most of them were not successful, of course, you know. The majority of technology uncovered being damaged beyond repair and impossible to reverse engineer with the use of contemporary industries. But many expeditions came back with knowledge, often inscribed in physical form. 
The expedition in the Sun Marshes found one such jackpot. Whomever had captained that vessel, a rather small one which couldn't have fit more than a thousand people, well, whoever they were, they were quite fond of the ancient methods of recording knowledge. As such, in their quarters was found several large, well-bound journals that had suffered very little from decay or the crash landing of the vessel. While none were able to interpret the journal at first due to its antiquated jargon and syntax, Mander's erstwhile friend, whom he refused to name, decided to give a crack at it. What Mander's friend saw disturbed him very, very much. Apparently some cosmic anomaly had caused the craft to fall from the sky. This planet had never been meant to be our ancestors' final destination. We had known that first bit, of course, but had always assumed that our forefathers' crash had been due to mechanical failings of the run-down spaceships, nor matters of, you know, an enigma. That was the first disturbing fact. The second disturbing fact was that the colonists quickly noticed an odd thing in the sky, something that mimicked the heat and light of the planet's true sun, but had never been mentioned on any charts, nor had been detected during the ship's travels. This might have been the burning one, the, you know, the second star we see in the sky that our astronomers tell us is actually very far away. Mander said our ancestors believed this object to not be a star at all. Crazy, I, I know. Pretty much all of our stellar charts and observations show the thing to be what it is. The smaller and kinder celestial brother that keeps our world warm and well lit. Nothing more, nothing less. Well, m maybe a symbol sometimes. It's nice to be able to look up at it in the sky and not have your cornea sizzle off, I must admit. Well, Mander's friend suggested that our employer was on the lookout to try and murder this thing, you know, this giant celestial body, and in doing so would bring about some sort of Armageddon, a tide of crimson, or war, or whatever. But it, 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 it was all Matt. I, I didn't listen very much to this part, I must admit. But whatever the case, as such, Mander's friend came to the inevitable conclusion that the world was doomed, and that, you know, there was nothing to be done at this point other than to save oneself. And so, whilst Mander's comrade went on to go prepare the rituals as suggested by the long-dead captain, uh, Mander, he had a much more different approach. These things that were said to be about to descend upon us were hungry after flesh and blood, you know, those two things only. There was no mention of iron or steel. If Mander could not fabricate from himself, you know, a successful way to get off the planet, which if the ancestors failed to achieve us, then why would he? Um, then he would find a way to render himself a creature not of flesh and blood, but one of steel and circuitry. There was something else among the wreckage, apparently. Some glowing, twisted bit of metal that looked every bit like a human brain, save colored in steel. The dead captain remarked that this was the reason for our ancestors' exile, that to create a true artificial mind was considered folly in the space between the stars. He was not remorseful that such a marvel had made those ignorant beyond-dwellers cast our kind out. No, in fact, he was prideful about it. One such thing, given the proper body, could perhaps download a human brain, um, and act in every way similar to its predecessor, albeit with improved abilities. This, this is what Mander sought to do. This is what the arm was. He alone would survive the times of Crimson. That's, that's what he thought. Given this statement of utter insanity, I was half tempted to f smash the feeble man's creation at once, as a lesson to he who had thrown common sense out of the window. He would replace his entire life simply because one of his 
to what his friend said a book said? I mean, what madness was that? To give up your life on mere hearsay. But I, I thought about it for a second. The man could still be lying. I pressed him on it. He affirmed that this time, in fact, he was telling the truth, and that I should let him go through with his desires for it, you know, even if he was right. There would be no victim to his crimes but himself. So I figured this was true enough, and left to my corner of the workshop. There were more tools that needed fixing for the expedition to take place. Once the debris had been cleared, a team of Redemption's best agents would be sent down to clear out the caverns of all the extraplanetary basties. They were always quite odd and gruesome. It was a wonder that they never spread beyond the crash sites. The majority of the world's native fauna were docile to the point where even a baby could overpower them. And those things, those corpses that I'd seen with so many teeth... Our, our agents needed the best equipment if they were to survive. It was optimal, of course, that they get, you know, new suits, but given the mineral scarcity of the world, that was why Menders existed in the first place. I continued to glance at Mander as I went through my work. He didn't take any breaks. Heck, he barely even bothered to wipe the sweat off of his brow. He was thoroughly serious about his project, no matter how mad it may have been. Then again, I had just been thinking about the monsters my tools sought to purge, and... It made a little bit of sense, didn't it? Very few agents returned from their tasks. This was a well-known fact, so they recruited from the desperate, the least likely to miss what barren existence they could have had out here. That such sacrifices would be made for mere technological rediscovery was, you know, naturally suspect. What did we hope to gain? A way to retraverse the stars? If our ancestors had, st had been stymied in that, then what did we hope to learn from their failure? Could they, with their far superior technological knowledge, possibly be beat out by us, you know? Mere colonists with so little materials that we had to make do with sloppy repairs over wholesale fabricators? But then again, I couldn't let the man's madness affect me too much. I had heard about the computers of our ancestors, but even though I'd never dealt with one myself, I knew that for certain, one could never reliably transfer one's consciousness over to one. It would simply be a replica, where, whilst, you know, the real mind would continue to reside in meat. But... Perhaps, if the mind were to be replaced slowly, bit by bit and at the end be fully made of metal. You know, like that ship, the, the, the ship from that story. The one where they replace one plank at a time, one plank at a time, removing all the rotten ones. And they keep, they keep the rotten planks. And then they put the rotten planks back together into a replica of the first ship. The real ship is obviously the second. No, no, sorry, sorry. The real ship is obviously the first one. You know, the one that was replaced, that had it, the planks replaced. Our minds are just as tangled up in time as the rest of our bodies. Uh, anyways, what, whatever. Um, still, no matter the case, Mander was fixed on murdering himself to spare himself the tragedy of some unforeseen future. And, more than that, he was passionate about it. Had he turned his mind towards other tasks, you know, such as cleaning or repairing these baskets of weaponry, we'd surely have the expedition ready in a, a week, two max. So I continued to work, and he continued on his project with gusto. The skeleton grew day by day, until one evening it looked to be a full replica of a human's. 
how he meant to power it and, you know, get around with it is beyond me, but anyways, there, there was no way that he could do so on normal human resources. But even on that night, I, I did not spare him his folly. I continued my trade and let him continue his. I would simply look up every now and then to see the man's face full of mirth, a joyous tear or two sliding down his cheeks. He mumbled to himself like a man possessed, but I, I didn't care. When my work for the day drew to a close, I simply shouldered my things and went back to bed, sleeping like a baby. Mander didn't show up the next day. I contacted the authorities and, without informing them about all the details of his madness, suggested that he might be in danger and that someone should go check up on him. They did. He was gone, his dwelling ransacked and coated with blood. An extremely odd combination, no doubt. I assume he must have found some mad surgeon, another fellow convinced of the vague prophecy of doom. The surgery was botched, of course, and then, wanting not to draw unwanted attention to himself, the surgeon hid Mander's body. So, his foolishness followed him to his grave. This is honestly all I can say in the matter. I did not bother to look for his corpse. You know, leaving such a job to the authorities who actually have experience in the matter. Instead, I merely returned to my workbench, and continued my craft. The only change was, now when I, you know, looked up to observe my comrade's progress, I saw nothing but an empty desk. It saddens my heart every now and then, for I realize that had I acted fiercely and reported him to the sanitarium, Mander might still be alive. But, even still, I am not directly responsible for his fate so I do not allow my guilt to fester in my belly. My work is helping the colony, and I will atone for whatever wrongs my negligence caused. Are we done here? Good. I have work to do.